Hello there. You're listening to the Babies in Common podcast, where parents, parents parents-to-be, and professionals can join together and talk about all things pregnancy, birth, feeding, babies, and parenting. And you don't even have to put on pants. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Babies in Common videocast and podcast. Hello. Hi. I'm Jeanette Masit from the owners of ba- the owner of Babies in Common. I'm an internationally board certified lactation consultant, childbirth educator, mostly retired birth doula, and mother of two teenagers. I am Melissa Ann Dubois, and I'm a registered nurse, childbirth educator, and lactation counselor. I've worked in all sorts of hospital and office-based OBGYN settings, and I'm currently providing postpartum home visits for home birth families and accepting clients as a birth doula. I'm also the mother of three small children. Awesome. So we have another great episode for you today, but before we get started, a couple of reminders. First, as always, anything that us, our guests, or participants say during this conversation should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult your own qualified healthcare professional for questions about you or your baby's health. Also, the the opinions expressed during this conversation are personal to the host, guests, and any participants and do not ever represent the views or policies of any current or former employer, including hospitals and clinicians. Our conversations are recorded on a HIPAA-compliant platform. And for a full review of our disclaimer, please visit babiesincommon.com slash disclaimer. Excellent. Thank you. Now on to our show. Today is May 20th, 2020. Uh, And today we'll be discussing pregnancy and parenting after 40. We are joined by two very awesome guests today. First, we have Jennifer Shark. Jen received a master's in nurse midwifery from Columbia University in 2007 and practiced full scope midwifery, including catching babies for 10 years. In 2017, she stepped down from inpatient care and has been working as an office-based midwife for a university health center and has a special interest in pelvic pain and pelvic floor rehabilitation. In fact, she will be returning to the Babies in Common podcast slash videocast in the near future to discuss her passion for pelvic floor health. In the meantime, you can read her blog and check out her excellent YouTube videos on pelvic floor health by visiting sharkinfestedh2o.com. Pretty much the coolest last name ever, Shark. So Uh, today we're going to be focusing on her personal experience with pregnancy and parenting as she gave birth to her one and only biological son in 2015. She also has a teenage stepdaughter that she affectionately calls her bonus daughter, which I think is super sweet. And so thank you so much for joining us today, Jen. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really excited to chat with you all. Hey. And our second guest is Stephanie Lee Butler. Stephanie holds a bachelor's in psychology and sociology from the University of Vermont and a bachelor's of science in nursing from Mass College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. She also holds a certificate in home birth midwifery from the Massachusetts Midwifery Alliance, but is currently accepting clients as a birth doula and is also studying to become an IBCLC. You can find out more about Stephanie at Sweet Little Bundles Birth Services on Facebook. At the age of 28, she gave birth to her son, who's now 13, and then 12 years later, she gave birth to her daughter, who's now two, at the age of 40. Uh, As far as pregnancy and parenting after 40, according to the 2018 U.S. birth rate report from the CDC, provisional birth rates declined for women aged 15 to 34 from 2017 to 2018, 
that rose for women aged 35 to 44. The provisional birth rate for women aged 40 to 44 in 2018 was up 2% 2 from 2017, and the rate for this age group has generally risen since 1982 by 3% per year. So what we know is that people in their 40s are having babies. And a funny side story, I took care of a couple that um, had their first baby when I was uh, working in Cambridge, which is actually how I met Jen Sharp. And they, they took my childbirth class for their first baby. And then a few years later, I got an email from them with a beautiful picture of their family and their now three-year-old son. And, and um, she said, you know, we're, we're pregnant again and we're still in the Cambridge area. Um, you know, hospital that we had our first baby at, that you worked at, do they accept women that are over 35? Mm. <laughs> I, got to, I, I like laughed out loud when I read it because, you know, and I said, I wrote back, I'm like, well, you know, what do you mean? Are you having a complicated pregnancy, whatnot? She said, oh no, I just know that it's advanced maternal age and it's very high risk. And I joked back to her, I said, oh, I, this particular hospital that Jen and I worked at, I feel like has the highest concentration of birthing people that are 40 and above out of any <laughs> hospital in Massachusetts. Like very, very likely. Yeah. And I, 35 is like, you know, oh, you're a spring chicken. And yeah. yeah if, you're, if you're, if you're under 35, it's like, what is this? <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, so yeah. people in their forties are having babies and it's not super rare you know so Jen if you wouldn't mind as a midwife and a healthcare provider can you speak a little bit about the medical considerations for people who are planning a pregnancy in their 40s you know as far as um, fertility and and stuff like that yeah definitely so I think the most the most important factor in planning pregnancy in your 40s is your general health to begin with um the reason why, one of the main reasons why pregnancy over 40 can become risky is because many people over the age of 40 already have pre-existing health conditions. So they may be pre-diabetic or diabetic. They may have high, high or highish blood pressure. Um, all the things that start, that can start to change as we age, those are the things that are going to make a pregnancy more risky in general. If you are, you know, healthy, have no comorbid conditions, so you don't have any major health problems. You're um, you eat well. You know you're reasonably fit. You are probably going to have a normal pregnancy. Some of the differences uh, that are less controllable are uh, higher risk of chromosomal abnormalities. So the one that most people think of is Down syndrome, and you know, when you get pregnant at 35, your risk of having a baby with Down syndrome is approximately one in one in 50. When you're 40, it goes all the way up to about one in 80. So it's a that's where it really kind of the curve just goes up really steeply. But still, one in 80 is only a little bit more than one percent. You know, we do a lot of things in life that have a greater than one and a half percent risk. So, you know, it's still a really high likelihood that your baby's going to have normal chromosomes. But so that also depends on your individual fertility as well. And that's, that's harder to, um, to tease out because some people are fertile well into their 40s, like I was, and some people are like, they're really never fertile and we don't know why. And so when people are planning a pregnancy over the age of 40, you know, we offer them the ability to go straight to a reproductive endocrinologist just because there is a greater chance that fertility will be a problem. 
but in my experience, most people want to try to get pregnant naturally first before all this intervention and a good chunk of them do. So, you know, I, I typically tell people don't wait more than six months if you're actively like cycle tracking and you know, you're ovulating and all of these things. But if you, you know, take that six months, if you want it, um, but you also have this option here. So really, I think the biggest thing is, are you healthy to begin with? And that is something that you really have to think about. Is your weight normal? Are your blood sugars normal? Um, do you have thyroid issues? Do you have any family history of, you know, preeclampsia, um, high blood pressure, diabetes, all of these things which can impact a pregnancy? And so um, if all of those things are normal and you are healthy, then you are probably going to have a normal, healthy pregnancy. Which takes you into the question of, so what about when you're actually pregnant and you're 40 and people are saying, oh, you're so high risk, you know, what are the risk factors? I know there's people who are healthy and have a fine experience, but what are the actual facts? What happens? Why do some providers make people feel like they're going to be so at risk? And is it still true that if you're having your fourth baby and you're 49, is that really risky because you're 49 or is it more risky if that's your first baby, you know? It's, it's okay. So there's, uh, let me unpack a few of those things. So um, being pregnant over 40 definitely does have some increased risk, particularly for gestational hypertension, preeclampsia and gestational diabetes. Um, these are more common just because, um, you know, people, especially who are eating more of a standard American diet are already probably somewhat insulin resistant. And then pregnancy itself is an insulin resistant state. And so if even if you're not diabetic or even pre-diabetic, you can still be somewhat insulin resistant and not know it because your blood sugar actually doesn't tend to start to rise until you've been insulin resistant for many, many years. So um, that really can increase your risk of developing gestational diabetes. And gestational diabetes is, is, is not something to kind of be like, oh, that's no big deal, which I often hear. Um, I was like, is it really a big deal? And it really is a big deal because that then puts you at risk for a, a number of things like high blood pressure, preeclampsia, having a, you know, if you can't control your blood sugar, having um, a baby that is too big to give birth to. And babies who are born hypoglycemic, hyperglycemic have a real risk of hypoglycemia where their blood sugar crashes after the cord is cut and that can lead to seizures. So that's like, you know, this is a whole big thing to unpack, right? Then, you know, our blood vessels are not as elastic as we age. And so that puts us at increased risk of, um, of hypertension, of high blood pressure. And because, and hyper, if you have high blood pressure during pregnancy, you're, in, you know, you're at greater risk of, um, of preeclampsia. And preeclampsia, we think, um, you know, the kind of leading theory right now and the cause of preeclampsia is on the way the placenta implants into the uterus at the beginning of pregnancy. And that has to do with your vascular, you know, it's how the two vascular systems interact. And when you're older, your vascular system is just not as flexible um, and you're more likely to have, you know, kind of an imperfect flex, what we call imperfect placentation, right? So we tend to tell people who are over, or in their 40s that they should be taking baby aspirin after 12 weeks to try to prevent preeclampsia. Um, and it, it does work. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, you are at greater risk for preterm birth because the placenta is, if the placenta isn't, you know, really well 
attached into the uterus, then, you know, you can have placental insufficiency, which, you know, you would show up on growth. And then we, you might have to have a preterm delivery if your baby is really growth restricted. There's also just an independent risk factor for preterm birth when you're over 40, though that may tie into the number of babies who are born by IVF. Um, because IVF increases the risk of preterm birth. And then the risk of placental insufficiency, you know, placentas tend to stop working as well sooner when you are older. So when you kind of pass that 40 week mark, um, when you're pregnant, that we, when you're pregnant, when you're over 40, we, you know, we are very cautious about the decline in the placental function. And so we typically recommend that if you haven't had your baby by 40 weeks, uh, that you consider um, being induced at that time because of the risk of the placental insufficiency. Um, we want to, you know, improve your chance of having a vaginal birth and placental insufficiency is a common cause of cesarean. So um, these are kind of the main health risks that we worry about when people are over 40 and why. That's an excellent question. I, I think there might've been one other question. Oh, the other question I think was, is if somebody is otherwise healthy, yeah. right? Is it being like 49 with your fourth baby different than being 49 oh, with yeah. your first? Is that what you were saying, Jeanette? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's risky either way. So in your late 40s, you know, I've just certainly seen people pregnant in their late 40s and early 50s. Um, you're, it's, it really has to do with your vasculature. It's just not the same. And it's, I've seen so many, I've seen pregnancy losses, I've, like high blood pressure, like almost universally in your late 40s. I've seen the placenta, I've seen retained placentas, um, postpartum hemorrhages. I, in my experience, and this is by no means like any kind of statistical sample, but just kind of my experience of delivering babies for 10 years, I would say that like late for like once you get past like 45, 46, you just start to see a lot more complications. The early 40s for healthy people tends to be kind of still more normal childbearing years. And whether it's your first baby or your fifth baby, you know, there are risks that are associated with first pregnancies like preeclampsia, um, but, you know, so that's slightly increased risk with your first baby versus if it was your fifth baby uh, with the same partner at, you know, at 45 versus your first baby at 45. But, you know, it's still the, the further past 40 you get, kind of probably the more likely you are to have complications with your pregnancy, regardless of the number of babies you've had. You just said something and I don't remember the reason why you said it, but I remember it was really cool or interesting. When you said with the same partner, there's some difference when it's not a same partner. Can you refresh my memory and share that? Because I remember when I learned it, I was like, that's cool. And now I forgot it. Yes. So um, there is a so it seems like, and this is also, you know, obstetrical literature is very, uh, uh, it's a little flighty, but there does appear to be a correlation between having um, a baby with a new partner and preeclampsia and having your first baby. So there is po a possibility that there is some component in the male 
the male genetics or the semen or something that is puts a person at a slightly increased risk for having preeclampsia or high blood pressure. And we don't really know why it is, and maybe it's an immune response. Um, it's not entirely clear, but if you've had your three babies with one partner and you had, and you were like healthy pregnancies with those, you could have your fourth pregnancy with a new partner and you would be at increased risk for preeclampsia. And it's, it's has to do with kind of the male genetic component, but we're not really sure why. Fascinating. Genetics and and epigenetics and also like the fact that if you carry a male child, there's like male parts of their DNA in your body for the rest of your life. Like it's crazy. crazy. All of that is like so mind blowing to me. Um, I wanted to bring up a point that you, that you um, touched a little bit on the term high risk. We, we do want to take these situations seriously, right? So it is true, well-documented, that women in their 40s or birthing people, pregnant people in their 40s, um, have an increased risk for possibly developing these things and therefore should be getting good quality prenatal care that properly screens you for your you know, gestational diabetes and, and preeclampsia and you know, taking that very seriously. And you know, gestational diabetes and preeclampsia or, or chronic hypertension, gestational hypertension, these are actually two things that we have a lot of statistically based good literature and protocols on, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody does develop those, um, yeah, you know, that is a medical indication for, you know, potentially for an induction or whatnot. But, you know, this term high risk, I, 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 I like, I'm on this, like, this, uh, journey i feel like this like professional journey to like help pregnant people understand that the term high risk means we have to be high alert that you could develop a complication but not that i'm going to put a stamp on your uterus that you are high risk and you are definitely going to have these things and i'll give you an example i had a patient once who had a history of second trimester losses okay that was why she was in her 20s but she had had like two 15 week losses or something really sad until so she got a cerclage, which is when they like basically sew your cervix shut. Look it up. It's crazy. And um, so she ended up making it to 37 weeks and they pulled the cerclage out and we were having a conversation about like labor and birth. And she was, you know, we were, I was monitoring her to see if like she was going to go into labor after I took the cerclage out. And she said something like, well, you know, I'm just so scared of my, my labor because I'm high risk. And I was like, but you were high risk because you were high risk of having a baby that was born and had a demise. Like you were high risk because you had two 15 week losses, like your full term now. Right. Like the reason that you were considered high risk is no more. There's no chance you're going to have this baby at 15 weeks. Right. So like you're now normal. Like, you, know, so, <laughs> you know, well, so anybody, I just feel like this term high risk is like, you know, it really should be like, we need to be high alert to keep our eye out to take good care of you. Yeah. You're not like tattooed on your forehead, high risk. If you make it to 40 uh, weeks and you're 40 years old and you're otherwise healthy, normal, baby's growing well. And you know, your, your midwife, for example, and I feel like the practice that you work for is fabulous with this, Jen, like, you know, talking about, well, this is why we recommend this. And some people might say, I don't want to be induced. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, well, here's an alternative. We can do Doppler flow studies on an ultrasound, or we can get a mm-hmm. biophysical profile, mm-hmm. or we can, you know, do twice a weekly non-stress tests or whatnot, right? Because it's not, like, people still have the right to make 
decisions that work best Absol for their body. Absolutely. You have autonomy over your body. And if you have a healthcare provider that does not, that does not acknowledge that you need to find a new healthcare provider. Cause that's super important. And I always, you know, try to counsel people in what, you know, what the literature looks like and remind them, you know, that statistics are only statistics, <laughs> you know, they don't really, you know, you're, when you become the statistic, it doesn't feel like such a statistic anymore, but that you have, it's your, your birth, your baby, your body, you're in control. And I think that's very important to, and when I see, you know, other types of practice, it really upsets me <laughs> a lot. And I, I agree. I think that that's that high risk stamp is like, it's just very hard for people not to internalize. And when I actually see people kind of in early pregnancy and, you know, maybe they've had IVF and maybe they've had multiple losses, but finally they're pregnant and they're like, you know, past the first trimester and they're like, you know, they're just like in this mindset, I'm so, so high risk, like just trying to normalize the experience for them. And those are actually the people that I really try to steer to make sure they're getting the free care during their pregnancy because they need to normalize their experience because it's been so abnormal up to now. And, um, you know, we, in our practice, we are very, you know, we allow people to kind of choose and you know when the midwives feel like someone's becoming too high risk for them to take care of they they'd be like you know you need to go see the docs but otherwise you know some people pick they just pick what they're most comfortable with but they I get these people and I'm like gently kind of trying to push them towards the midwives because they need to normalize their experience and yeah so I think you bring up a really good point Melissa that we just high risk means different things and you know one high-risk pregnancy doesn't mean every other time every other pregnancy you're going to have is high risk either so it's absolutely tricky. yeah that's a good point now like if you're pregnant with triplets you're a high-risk pregnancy and like there's nothing we can do <laughs> about the that, end. Right? but right let's be honest your life is high risk at this point it's a high life life <laughs> even after the birth exactly <laughs> But good on you for having three. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Definitely. All right. So, Jen, was it your plan to have a baby later in life? It well, yes and no. Um, I kind of always wanted to be a mom, but I never really, I ne hadn't met the right person. And in fact, when I met my current husband, I had already started working on becoming a single mother by choice. I met him when I was about 38. And um, I had actually even done an insemination at that point by the time I met him, um, which didn't take, fortunately, I guess. Um, and so once I met him, I was like, well, I really like, I, I, I was like, I really like this guy. Like, I should just see where it goes. And just, you know, if I'm meant to have a baby, I will have a baby in the future. And so you know, once we decided like, okay, we're like, this is it, you know, we're like, let's try to have a baby. And I was 40 years old and, and a chunk of months and, you know, we're like, let's pull the goalie. And like the next month I was pregnant. So I was very, very fortunate. Um, I got pregnant the first time I tried. I've never been pregnant before. 
and um, had a, you know, I was, you know, am still a very, very healthy, um, pretty fit. And I had like textbook normal pregnancy. Um, and, and in fact, my midwife kind of joked with me that she, that uh, when I was having my son, she was like, you know, is this your, is this your real, your first baby? Because I had like such an efficient labor. Like I was like, I was like five centimeters, a hundred percent plus one before I ever had a labor contraction. And then like, I just went boom, boom, boom. And she was like, even your perineum stretched like a multip, you know? <laughs> so she, there, you know, she was like, are you sure this is your first baby? I'm like, yes, I'm absolutely hundred percent sure. I've never, ever been pregnant before unless I'm missing, you know, like 10 years of my life. And so, um, it didn't, wasn't the way I might've envisioned my life when I was 25, but it's the way that it ended up happening. And I was, I wanted to have a baby and I was willing to do it at 40 versus, you know, being like, I'm too old. I'm just not going to do it. Or I'm going to, you know, do it, become a parent through an, an alternative method. And you know, I also got very lucky that I met somebody who already had a child. So I did get a bonus child in the mix. And, you know, my two kids are 12 years apart and they're both awesome and they love each other. And, um, you know, they're both great and terrible at the same time, like all kids, <laughs> but mostly great, mostly great. We'll say that. Was your partner, um, your then new husband supportive of um, doing it all over again because you know he, he how old was your bonus daughter when you got pregnant with Solomon she was 11 okay and so I mean that's like he was born middle yeah. school right like no more diapers no more baby years so like you know did and did you ever get kind of like pressure from family or be like oh but you know you guys are already past that like you know sometimes I hear people in their in their uh, 40s, like you don't, you know, you don't, you don't want to be the old parents, you know. Like, <laughs> so, um, do you get anything like that, or was she psyched to to do it all again? Once we made the decision to do it, he was really excited and all in. Um, and we did not get any negative feedback from anyone. And I think partially because my like my father, who was at the time my only living parent, had been like waiting for a biological grandchild because my my sisters are are his stepchildren, and so he was just like totally psyched like he didn't he was like whatever like we were old when we had you now they were in their mid-30s when I was born which then was really old but now you know so he was just kind of rolling with it and you know my husband's family was really excited as well and given two things. Number one, that I was working in a big midwifery practice at the time. Everybody's very excited whenever anybody's having a baby. And then I live in Cambridge currently, and there are a lot of moms over 40 in Cambridge. In fact, probably at least as many, you know, moms having baby over 40 as under 40 here. So we kind of fit right in. And in fact, my husband was really one of the young parents here. Um, when he moved here, um, when my stepdaughter was about six months old and he was early 30s. I think he was like 30. He must have seen, he, he was 42 and my son was born. So he would have, he would have been like 30 with a baby and that's pretty young in Cambridge. So 
it's just it's having the kind of the real Cambridge experience now. Well, that, that's great because you know, uh, you 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 found the perfect community. <laughs> totally, it's true. Awesome. Well, Stephanie, so there are 12 years between your son and daughter, or 11, I think you said earlier, right? Like 11, 11 and a half or whatever, yeah. Um, so were there life factors that led to that age difference? What was happening there? So definitely life factors. So my son and my daughter have different fathers. Um, I was 27 when I got pregnant with my son. I was 28 when he was born. Um, I dated his father for a little while and, and, um, we got pregnant. <laughs> um, he's no longer in our life. We occasionally will hear from him. Big deal. It's, it's, <clears throat> it is what it is. Um, so I didn't really, honestly, I didn't really date after my son was born for many years. And then, um, here and there I would date people, but then I met Jay, which is my daughter's father. And um, we just knew that we were gonna be together. And even though we're not married, we don't necessarily want to get married. Um, but we talked about having a baby. I'm like, we're both getting kind of old and we need to think about this because you don't have any children. And I think you do want some, and he did, you know, so we talked about it a little bit back and forth. And then, so I think it was like December, right before I got pregnant with her, which was about mm, maybe May of the year of whatever. So it was like 2017, we started talking, no, 16, when we started talking about it. And I, so I went to Dr. Um, Dr. Klein and I, because I had had some strange periods that weren't necessarily normal for me he gave me I think it was a progesterone thing I took it for a few days and then after that my periods went back to regular um so within a couple of months I was pregnant and yeah I mean I I did not other than that progesterone that I took from Dr. Klein I did not have any problems getting pregnant I did not have any I did not need to get IVF or anything which is great um, so yeah, <laughs> definitely, um, I didn't think about it necessarily either time, except for the second one. And even then we weren't sure. <laughs> it's kind of like, if it happens, it happens. <laughs> and that's a good point about like, you know, there are lots of, lots of people in their forties that are fertile that we are talking to too right now. And sometimes people just get to a point in their life where they're ready to have a child and they happen to be 40 and they are struggling with infertility, but it might've been that they had that infertility for a long time because yeah. many people are on birth control pills, you know, in high school. And, you know, I, I can speak from experience, you know, I, I went on the pill when I was 17 mm -hmm. and I absolutely did not want to be a teenage mom. My, my mom is a teenage mom and I saw how hard she had to work. And so I uh, would have taken 17 birth control pills a day. <laughs> so I was very good about taking my birth control pills from when I was 17 until when I was 27, when my husband and I um, decided to maybe start trying. And then we had a lot of trouble trying. We tried for a year. We got pregnant, had a miscarriage. Thought, well, at least I can get pregnant, right? So kept trying, kept trying. Um, and, you know, had a second miscarriage uh, a year later. And then saw an infertility specialist, uh, got worked up, was diagnosed with un, um, 
unknown infertility, like female infertility unspecified, and then ended up needing treatment with Clomid to get pregnant, had a third miscarriage, and then finally conceived my son. And so, you know, when I worked as an OBGYN office nurse, I would hear from patients that were in their, you know, maybe later 30s um, that were, you know, um, maybe calling us because it had been six months since they start trying and like, well, the birth control pills were, were what caused my infertility. That's what my mom or my, you know, sister had told me, or, you know, maybe if I had tried sooner, I wouldn't be having these problems. And, you know, you know, maybe if he did try sooner, I mean, certainly there is good evidence to say that, you know, in, there is some decline in, you know, uh, fertility after the age of 27 and whatnot. But sometimes, you know, infertility is really common. I think it's one in eight, um, you, know, that, uh, you know, couples struggle with infertility. And so, you know, there's this idea that like everybody who's in their 40s is infertile and all need IVF. And, you know, nobody in their 20s and 30s could ever possibly be in infirmities. We'll just be a fertile myrtle. Why aren't you pregnant yet, Melissa? You're 27, you know? And, and it could just be that, you know, because you were being very careful about not getting pregnant, you never really got a proper diagnosis, um, you know, of, of infertility issues until you decided when you were 40 to have children. So um, just something to kind of to kind of keep in mind. I, I feel like that's kind of a big myth out there. Yeah. I have a, a, a friend who... Um, in fact, had her first babies at 45 through IVF and a donor egg because she and her husband had been trying for years and, and finally found an infertility specialist who was like, who kind of looked at her, like her medical records. And he was like, you were never fertile. Like she had been on birth control pills for probably 20 years, but, um, you know, he's, he was like, you probably never even needed to take them. And like she just, her eggs were just never good. And that happens, you know, some people just are never fertile. And so I, when people come looking for fertility counseling, you know, before, you know, even trying to become pregnant, you know, I, I try to advise, you know, fertility is really individual. And yes, we see, we have statistics and they do bear looking at, but it's, it is just very so highly individual and there are plenty of women in their late 30s and early 40s getting pregnant spontaneously and we kind of think that everybody who's pregnant over the age of 35 must have had IVF but no most of them probably didn't actually IVF IVF is very expensive and you know we're fortunate in Massachusetts that most insurance do cover a certain degree of IVF but most of the country people can't get IVF unless they're paying out of pocket and it's crazy expensive yeah absolutely and the other thing is you know that i encountered as an office nurse is that when you start diving into the history sometimes people have been taking birth control in whatever that depot or birth control pills or whatnot because of horrible painful periods that were never properly diagnosed as something for example like endometriosis which we absolutely know can affect your infertility yes i mean the number of people that i have met in my career that have took years to be properly diagnosed with endometriosis oh, yeah. is overwhelming, right? That and is so, an entirely, that is a right? conversation in and of itself. Yeah, it's, it's so true. It's so true. And so, you know, I just feel like if you're somebody that's older in like later in life and struggling to get pregnant, sometimes there's a guilt. Like if I had just tried sooner, this wouldn't happen. Or sometimes other people say that like, oh, it's all these 
of feminist women who just want to put their career before family and kids that are now they're just trying to get pregnant at 40. And it's like, as you described, sometimes people have been trying for one of the most memorable births I ever attended was a couple that had tried and tried and tried for 10 years to have a baby. And then had a surprise pregnancy, like three years after they had decided to just like, uh, you know, get dogs and buy a different house and like That's stop awesome. trying. Like it was, I, I, and I think it was just maybe their body, your body was just like, one more chance. And like, trying to get pregnant at 45 it's like they've been trying for 10 years you know like yeah. cut people some slacks there's a lot of like stigma and myths out there but you know a lot of people beat themselves up like maybe I wouldn't be having these troubles if I had tried sooner but you know it's not always like that it's not always just you know if you had tried sooner things would be easier right. know, there's plenty of plenty of infertility issues in younger people as mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. yeah Melissa all right. So um, as we discussed in your intro, Stephanie, um, you were 28 when your son was born and 40 when your daughter was born. And while every pregnancy and birth is different, um, is there anything related to your age specifically that you found was different between being pregnant at 28 and pregnant at 40? So it's funny that you asked that because I've been thinking about that question. I don't know. And the reason I think I don't know is because I have different sex children because I remember a friend of mine who had a son and then a daughter within a few years of each other and her pregnancies were totally different. So I'm not certain. Uh, with my son, I had a fairly easy pregnancy. I was 27, 28 years old. I, you know, I didn't really... I, I didn't really have any problems um, with my daughter. The only problem that I feel like I really had was the horrifying hyperemesis that I had, which has probably changed my life in the last three years. I feel like it has caused me to have PTSD. Um, and, you know, that's the only real thing that I can think of. I mean, maybe the way I was treated in pregnancy, but the doctor that I saw with my daughter was a different doctor than I saw with my son. And the doctor that I saw with my daughter, he was great. I mean, he did not treat me like I was old, mm -hmm. even though I was 39. I was 39. I, she was born when I was 40. She, I had just turned 40 about a, a month before she was born. He didn't treat me necessarily any different. Um, so, I mean, I personally have not experienced too much other than like the, maybe possibly the sex difference, but I mean, it wasn't crazy other than the fact that, oh, although when I was in labor, that's not true. When I was in labor at the hospital, they treated me like I was like a thousand years old. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, do you need a walker, Stephanie? <laughs> But you, you were also trying to do a V-back as well with your daughter. I was, I was yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Which did not end up as high hoped. Um, I, I have lots of reasons why I believe that happened. Um, I, 
I honestly think the biggest reason this is so embarrassing to say is because I was so constipated. <laughs> I probably hadn't pooped in like a week. Oh, <laughs> I really gosh. believe that's why she didn't come out the right way. <laughs> Get an enema. I swear to God, that's the reason. <laughs> so you had two cesareans then. You had two cesareans. And so do you remember... Is was there any difference as far as um, birth and recovery, like having surgery and recovering from surgery, physical, mental, yes. emotional, between being 28 yes. and 40? So with my son, I mean, the, 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 one of the differences is that I did not know anything with my son, and I knew a lot better with my daughter, and I still allowed what happened to me to happen. But recovery-wise, I feel like it was much easier when I was younger for sure. The pain was much less when I was younger. I also have experienced some things. At, I don't know if it's because I'm older and it happened or because of something happened during my surgery, but I've had a lot of like residual pain and like bad side effects maybe from the epidural. I'm not sure what it is. Um, but mentally, definitely a huge difference. I think for me, it might've been dealing with my son who was already dealing with some, some issues surrounding her birth. He was supposed to be there and they wouldn't allow him. And then I had a C-section and then I was in there for five days. I couldn't see my son for five days. And I think that was probably the most traumatic thing that's ever happened in mine or his life to date. Why couldn't um, you see him? They wouldn't, la they wouldn't allow him they to wouldn't visit? Allow him. They wouldn't because it was flu season which infuriates me to no end because I think it's total BS and they wouldn't allow, allow, allow him in to visit me. Um, I understood if they didn't want him there for the birth, even though I think he should have been there. Um, but they wouldn't even allow him to visit me afterwards. And it was, a, it, it was, he was angry with me for so long. It was really hard. It was really hard. So some of that is, you know, just and we're like still struggling saying, with it, I believe. The multi generational, like the fact that you're having like, another kid and then having like kind of like, you know, uh, the, the second time mom issues. Certainly, that. Do you feel like there's anything that yeah. specifically related to like? It's hard to tease out because you were a second time mom when you had your second baby. Stuff. But is there anything specifically related to like your age, or do you feel like if you had had your son when you were 40 do you feel like your the your health body whatnot physical emotional would have been the same or i think it's i mean i think it probably would have been the same yeah i do because i i was i mean i was a little bit overweight when i got pregnant with my daughter but i wasn't like unhealthy um so as far as that goes like i feel like i was actually other than the hyperemesis i i tried to be very healthy during my pregnancy i ate things that i was supposed to and well, when I could actually eat. Um, it's actually probably good that you started out with a few extra pounds. Give you extra <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes, oh, God. I, I, I did. I lost a bunch. So by the time she was born, I had not gained much more than like five or 10 pounds wow. for my current pre-pregnancy weight, but I was already a little bit overweight to begin with. So it, like my doctor wasn't concerned about it at all. I mean, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that it would have been totally different, but again, I, I don't know. So 
for for both of you, but we'll start with Jen. So parenting as a 40 year old, you know, there's the stereotype of we're so tired, you know, like, how do you feel like it's been for you? Well, I am pretty tired, actually. <laughs> um, you know, I think, you know, if I, if I had had a baby at 25, I certainly would have had more energy than I have now. There's just no question about it. But I also feel like I have a lot of things now that I definitely did not have when I was 25. I was, you know, I was very depressed in my 20s. Um, I would not have been a good parent. You know, I was not financially stable. All of these things, you know, when I had a baby at a month before my 41st birthday, um, you know, I had a stable relationship. I had had stable mental health for 10 years. I had, um, you know, many more, a stable career, like all these things that I just did not have in my 20s. And I think that has made me a better parent. Um, I did, you know, I did suffer from very severe postpartum depression and anxiety, um, which was a, I don't know why I was surprised by it because with a history of depression, I was definitely at risk for it, but it's the way it hit me was just unexpected. I, you know, I'd never kind of expected to experience the kind of symptoms that I had had, um, but, and I was exhausted because as you know, I was really committed to exclusively breastfeeding and, my husband had his job at the time was like super high burn, high stress job. And so I was like worried about, well, I, I want exclusively breastfeeding. He can't do that in the middle of the night. So I might as well let him sleep, you know, but then, you know, like I started feeling like I had to take on everything. And yes, so that did make me probably way more tired than I had to be. Um, now at, you know, five years later, I, Things I have a lot more patience. I have a, a high needs son who just he's he just can't entertain himself in any way, shape, or form. Like he really needs that that human interaction to be able to focus and and do things. And that's one of this coronavirus time has been really really difficult for him. Um, and I don't know. I would have had the patience for this in my twenties. So um, you know, I think that I had. You know, I got the child that I got, and I'm glad that I'm the person that I am now with him rather than the person that I was when I was younger. So, yes, am I probably more tired than the 25-year-olds? Yeah, I would say for sure. But I also, you know, I have a, you know, I work full-time, you know, and I think when you work full-time out of the home, you, and you there's a little bit of that guilt that you want to be able to spend more time with your children. And so you, the time you do spend with your children, you try to like focus it so much. I think that's kind of exhausting too. So sometimes it's about also letting go of this guilt. Like it's okay to work outside of the home and you can still be a good mother that way. And I actually think I'm a better mother for it. Um, and I have seen that now in the COVID-19 experience. <laughs> to that. <laughs> but, you know, I'm doing my best. But, you know, it's all, uh, you know, it's a get, you know, it's so much of it's a guessing game. I, I really do believe I'm a better parent now than I would have been, you know, 15 years ago. But, you know, there could have been so many things that could have been different in my life when I was younger that might have made me a good parent. But in the life that I had, 
I'm glad I'm a parent now and was not a parent then. Mm. Is that an okay answer? That's an awesome answer. <laughs> I, we keep it real on this podcast. Yeah. I feel like that is a real answer. Like, it's funny because I, like I said, we started trying to get pregnant, my husband and I, when I was 27, and I didn't have peers till I was 30. And when I think back to like, if we had first gotten pregnant, when we first got married, and then we had had the, you know, so by the time we had Pierce, we had been married for six years and together um, for 10. And if I had had my son early in our relationship um, and had the, I had a similar experience, serious, I had serious postpartum OCD um, and a very high needs baby. I don't know if our relationship would have been as solid <laughs> through that, you know? So absolutely. Um, I, nothing puts stress on a relationship like having a baby. Absolutely. I mean, if your relationship can, can survive the, the newborn period, you're probably pretty solid. <laughs> so true. You know, so I am in a way like I'm, I can look back in hindsight now have my children I'm grateful to have them uh, would I have wanted them any sooner in my life when I no I think I think they came into my life I was lucky that they came into my life when they came into my life and I think I you know we're a better family for it yeah. so not that I wish infertility on anybody because I don't but <laughs> um so um what about for you Stephanie as far as like what's your experience of parenting a baby you know newborn feedings and the wake-ups and um because uh you know, you with being 28 versus 40, anything so, age related? So I also have a little bit of a different perspective because with my son, I had, his father was not ever involved except to come and visit every now and then because he thought he was great. Um, but I mean, I was, he was, I was his only, I mean, I, I, he slept with me. I, or in the crib, uh, cradle next to me. And so I was for the newborn parent, but, Oddly, even though with my daughter, uh, I had Jay and I had the help, it was harder for me. It was so much harder for me with her versus with him. And I don't know if it's because I'm older or, or my life circumstances. I don't know. But for some reason, I, I, I kind of feel like it might be because I'm older because she sleeps with me and he's, I mean, Noah slept with me too, but it wasn't, he was not nearly as demanding. Mm. Nora is, I, I only nursed him until he was about eight months old with her. She's still nursing. She's two and a half. So it's, it's completely different as far as like nighttime and stuff goes. Um, as far as like regular parenting, like during the day and stuff, I don't think it's too different. I think that I might I might, I might get more, even though Jen, Jen was like, I think I'm less, I feel like I get more annoyed with her than I do with, than I did with mm. Noah. <laughs> and I don't think it's her fault. I just think it's just, I'm tired. I'm dealing with so much more stuff now than I did when I was 28, mm -hmm. that it's just, it's just totally different um, for me versus like being 28 with because I feel like I was much more chill with him than I am with her now. Her, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> but maybe it's the boy-girl thing, too. Like, I don't know. 
Like, I don't know. It might be the boy-girl thing. <laughs> so it's <laughs> funny because when I worked in B, like, you know, we'd have, when I worked in uh, uh, the city, we had a lot of teenage moms. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, you know, I don't want to take care of it, you know, a whiny kid. But, like, I actually really like taking care of the teenage moms because, I, I, I liked being that role model for them and I liked being able to support them. And I felt like, you know, um, I could offer them a lot, but what I also liked is they, they were really not that anxious. They were so laid back. Like they just, you know, they just expected it. It, it was just all going to work out. And then it's funny. I left that job and started working my Cambridge job. And I had, I had never met so many incredibly <laughs> intelligent older people on so many psych drugs like I just have never like, it's totally true I miss, I miss my teenagers from um my, from Brooklyn like that those were the I love those they girls. were the best They're oh the best. when I was in yeah Bennington, I had a lot of teenagers too when I was in Bennington yeah and so they were always we could, my favorite we could build our ideal birthing person would be like carefreeness of the young you know the, the mental stability of the older yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i wish we could right the financials of your in your 40s yeah, right oh so man the take, the take home you know i used to hear i've been doing um moms groups or parenting groups of different shapes and sizes over the years and sometimes i'll i, I would have like a 40 year old or a 43 year old new mom first first baby and they'd be like, well, I don't know if I want to attend that group because all the moms, they're all going to be younger than me. And I'm like, yeah, but having a baby is a great equalizer. So all the stuff you're going through is the same, but how you're handling it may be different because you had a career and now this baby's interrupted, so to speak, quote unquote, your life. And so you've had to really pivot. Whereas someone who's younger, maybe that was just sort of part of their plan and they just had a baby, no big deal. But what you guys are saying is really just highlighting too that it's so individual because sometimes you're not ready to have a baby until you're 43 and that's the best time for you to have a baby. And other times you're really ready. I remember having some clients who were 21, 22, 23 come into group and it was awesome when there was a 43-year-old and a 23-year-old in the same room and they're both talking about how they didn't get much sleep last night and their nipples are a little sore. You know, it's, and they're all the same and they're all the same. There's, there's some of it that's all the same and some of it is you know, I wish people would stop trying to think that it's all about the age. Like, yes, your health is important. Your age it comes into factor with it. But sometimes you're having a baby when you're having a baby and you're going to deal with it how you deal with it and you're going to get the support you can. And, and I wish people would stop feeling guilty about it. You know, it's just, it is what it is. And we don't yeah. we have to think about it individually for like, who am I with? Who do I have near me? Who am I as a person? How am I going to respond to this? And you're going to respond differently to each individual child as well. It's true. It's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have, I have, you know, my current practice is really interesting because we have um, people, you know, our, our pregnant women, pregnant people are from all over the world because we, we have a very international population um, with a lot of graduate students and spouses of graduate students and the like. And so, you know, we see people, you know, with planned pregnancies from their early 20s until their 40s. And, you know, oftentimes it's the, you know, the, in terms of mental preparedness for the difficulties of pregnancy, birth, and parenting is often better 
in the younger than in the older because um you know you get to a point in life you've read every book you've you've read every study and you think you know how it's going to be um and if you are you know kind of a driven career person you got there because you were able to control your your circumstances and what you don't understand is that this is not a circumstance you can control and um so I find that there's often more mental flexibility in that way in younger, younger first-time parents, maybe even older first-time parents. Um, but you know, I've had you know a number of patients who've been like marathon runners, and they're like, "I can do natural childbirth. I've run a marathon." I'm like, "Okay, so the difference between running a marathon and having a baby is that running a marathon is about all about control." Having a baby is all about letting go of control. Like you will not give birth until you let go of control, you know, versus a marathon running is all about the training and the controlling and how am I going to get to 26.2 miles? And, you know, it's, it's, um, I think our minds are maybe a, a bit more pliable and amenable to letting go of control when we're younger than when we're older. I think that's a really good point. In fact, um, when I taught childbirth class in upstate New York, nobody ran marathons there. They thought I was weird for bringing hummus to work. Um, and so I, I used to say labor's like a marathon because they were like, oh, marathon sounds like something really hard. Okay. And then I started teaching in Cambridge and I was like, labor's like a marathon. They're like, what marathon? I will run that marathon. I will train for that marathon. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not like that. You can't stop halfway through and decide to walk you can't train for exactly how long it's going to be and you know so it's so true like there's that level of you know high achieving people um myself being one of them type a high achieving kind of perfectionist definitely had to let go of a lot of control in order to be a healthy person and a healthy parent and, and have fun with parenting when i had my first so it's really funny is my sister who i'm very close to is two years younger um just had her first baby the same time I had my third and they're about 10 months old. And she is also, I mean, she's a marketing director. She's very um, driven, uh, you know, type A. And we both had them playing the other day together uh, at a socially distanced, you know, level. And, um, and my daughter's like putting uh, rocks and sticks in her mouth and crawling off the blanket. And, and, and my sister is like, oh, she, oh, she's not staying on the blanket. She's, I'm like, Marlena, she's not going to stay on the blanket, but I just it transported me back to when I had my first, and like I would never have let my my oldest son like off that blanket. Like I just <laughs> had to let it go. I'd let it all go. It's so funny that you say that because I was actually the opposite. <laughs> so I actually was like a preschool teacher before I had my son, and like I could give a crap less, but I mean, I actually care more about what Nora does and what I, with what he did, because I'm like, whatever. I'm like, he's going to do it anyway. Parenting. <laughs> it's so funny. Although, although I, I think it's more, I think with Nora, it's more, I'm not as worried about it as like maybe Jay is because she's his first child. So I think I get like freaked out because I'm like, he's going to get freaked out, even though it really wouldn't bother me. Like, mm -hmm. go ahead, eat dirt. I don't care. Like, <laughs> like is it clean dirt? Okay, it's fine. <laughs> it's so, it's so funny. It's so funny. I mean, it's I'm true. Like, I was trying to get my son to like play in the dirt. He, he, he kind of, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I feel like 
in that way, like those kinds of things. Like I've always been like, get him dirty. It's going to build a good, healthy microbiome. Like that's like where I'm at, right? But Me too. A friend of mine. So what was interesting is when I had my son, there were three of us who were pregnant in our practice. Um, plus our office nurse was pregnant and there was someone else was pregnant. But anyway, anyway, there were a lot of us pregnant at the same time and all gave birth within like three months of each other. Um, but this, um, our office nurse, one of my colleagues and myself all gave birth within a week of each other. So we made our own like kind of postpartum support group, which was great. But I remember one day, um, my colleague was like, yeah, so we were, we took the baby to go play in Mount, you know, Mount Auburn Cemetery. And I noticed that she was chewing on something. Oh no. And I was like, oh, she shouldn't be eating anything. Like we didn't give her any food and fished out of her mouth. Don't he say said, it. baby bird. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, and she, and, and she was like, and, and, I mean, she was okay, but it was just really disgusting. And I was like, yeah, uh, well, she's going to have a really good immune system. Uh, <laughs> my kids done similar, I mean, not quite as gross, but just similar grossness. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, <laughs> Parenting is going to challenge you in ways you never imagined, no matter your age. I feel like that's a good... My son is fairly fastidious, except for the fact that he absolutely hates taking baths. Well, before COVID, he would adamantly refuse to take a bath. If we could get him to bathe once a week, it was a win. Like, He's very strong-willed, which is not surprising, given who his parents are. <laughs> but now we make him take a bath, like, pretty much every night because it calms him down, and this whole, like, situation is kind of insane, and it's making him insane. So, um, you know, we've kind of forced the situation. He still kind of refuses to get into the bath, but then once he does, he's like, he likes you, know, it. you know, yeah. But, um, yeah. But otherwise, like, he doesn't like it when he gets dirty, but he won't take a bath, so I don't know. <laughs> After this whole pandemic's over, then you'll have to have them hang out with my boys because they have absolutely no problem getting dirty. <laughs> okay. So we need to get Nora together with them too. Yeah. They, they can teach talking. him the fun of, yeah, the fun of mud. I'm like, look, buddy, it's mud. It's so much fun. He's like, but then I'll be dirty. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I true. I used to make mud pies. <laughs> I used to love that stuff. Yep. So one last question for you guys. Um, if someone's thinking of getting pregnant in their 40s, what's your advice? Stephanie, you first. I would say to, if you're thinking about it, you're not pregnant yet, and you're thinking about it, I would say to get, like, do as much as you can to be as healthy as you can be. Um, and just try to let things just be the way they're going. As long as it's, you know, not a, like a complicated pregnancy, but just try to let things go the way they're going to go because, I mean, you can't really, you can't really control it. So just kind of be as healthy as you can be. Try as hard as you can do to like exercise and, 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 and just do what you can to, to make yourself healthy. That will help your baby be healthy. And just, um, which is hard for me to say because with my daughter, I was very unhealthy. I didn't eat all the time ever because I was so sick, but you know, I think that's probably the best thing and just try to let things go and don't let, don't let outside sources 
dirty your mind. Mm. You can do it and it is healthy and okay as long as you are being safe and you know you're you're being you know followed and it's just as mat it's just a matter of being healthy and safe and knowing what you're going through. That's great advice. I what about you, Jen? What would you say uh, to anybody who is thinking about getting pregnant or finds themselves pregnant in their 40s? Any advice? Well, I do. I absolutely agree about, you know, being as healthy as you can in advance, um, making sure that, you know, you, you're take and if you do have any health problems that you get them under control before conceiving, if at all possible, um, you know, maybe have a preconception visit with a trusted healthcare provider. Um, then I would say, Pick the hospital you want to give birth at before you pick your care provider if you decide to give birth at a hospital. So pick your place of birth first, then mm -hmm. choose a provider because your chance of having a good experience during your birth has more to do with your place of birth than the person who's going to catch your baby. So if there is a positive culture surrounding birth at um, at a hospital, you're going to have a much better, I don't care how connected you feel to that gynecologist you've been seeing since you were 13 years old. If they deliver at a hospital with a really paternalistic obstetrical culture, you're going to have a terrible experience. If you, you can say, you know what, I'm, I want to have my baby at this hospital because I really, for whatever reason, I'll have my baby at this hospital because this is the culture that I want to give birth in but I'm going to come back. I'll come back to you, you know, for my gynecologic care in a year, you know, but you don't pick the provider, pick the location because that can make such a big difference in your entire pregnancy, birth, and postpartum experience. And to remember that that postpartum period is really now extended to about a year after you've given birth. And so you just have to have the right people behind you at because you need to trust them. If someone says, we have a problem here, you want to, you, you need to believe that they have your best interest at heart and your baby's best interest at heart and are not just doing something because it's more convenient for them. I, I could not agree with you. That's good advice for anybody that's Absolutely. pregnant. The it's person true. <laughs> that your mom used to see, so you're seeing just because of the person that gives you birth control pills is, yeah. might not be the first person that's going to you know, give you the birth experience or help you achieve the birth experience that you would desire yeah. for sure. Um, I would add I, to that too, that, you know, I see a lot of people over the years as a childbirth educator, even where you just sort of like, well, why'd you choose a hospital? Oh, well, I had three girlfriends that gave birth there and they thought it was fine. And so they're going to that hospital or it's the one in my city so of course i'm going to go to that one or it's a teaching hospital so they must be better or or it has a nicu so just in case anything happens i want to go there their decisions of how to choose that are not based in how the four of us would recommend it so one aspect of how to ask around to figure out which is the better institution and then after that which are the providers that might give you what you want for your pregnancy and birth and the kind of attention you need would be mm -hmm. to call around to some birth doulas if you have people in your life that know labor and delivery nurses, you know, ask them, like, what is the culture at that hospital? What is the culture mm -hmm. of the care providers? Are there midwives there? That typically is a helpful thing. Not always, though, because some midwifery mm -hmm. programs or midwifery teams within certain hospitals are much more strong-armed and can't do midwifery care the way that some other hospitals might be able to do it. True. 
So, you know, choosing a midwife allows you to choose a doctor. You, you always get a doctor with a midwife on the team in case you need one, whereas a lot of people don't know that either. But right. really asking the doulas who visit a different hospitals and really have the pulse on what's happening these days in which hospitals. But absolutely, if there's somebody in your life that knows a labor and delivery nurse, then ask them because they'll. Oh, yeah, for sure. I agree. I totally the other, agree. The other thing I would say is um, when choosing your place of birth, look at cesarean rates because. Um, even a, a hospital with a lot of higher risk deliveries, um, you know, where they care for you know, higher order multiples and stuff like that, you're going to expect them to have a higher C-section rate. But I can tell you that a hospital that, you know, and, and remember, C published C-section rates may actually be significantly lower than actual C-section rates. I worked at a hospital um, that had about a 20% C-section rate. Um, largely because it was the volume was so high that you just you just you know had to kind of roll one through and you know the vaginal birth was kind of the, the best way to do it. I also worked at a hospital as a travel nurse that had I don't even know what their published stats was, but when we looked in the the delivery book for the that like current month, the, the rate was about seventy percent. And what you can tell the in most cases is that you know, high published C-section rates probably mean a more paternalistic uh, model of care and one with um, probably a lot of private practices or with doctors who just aren't willing to wait. You know, you wanna look at C-section rates, you wanna look at do they have hospitalist care? In most cases, hospitalist care is actually um, going to give you a lower risk of having a cesarean than going in to see a solo or group practice because the hospitalist is there for a 24-hour shift and they're handing off to another hospitalist in 24 hours and whether or not you give birth on their shift does not matter versus if you're in a private practice and that doctor has been on call for 48 hours and they just want to go home and sleep and they don't want to leave, you know, they don't want to leave, you know, their failed labor or whatever they're, you know, for mm -hmm. the next person coming on because that person is not very nice or whatever. And so they're just going to do a C-section at, you know, 5 p.m. to make things easier. And I've seen that too. When I, you know, in, in New York, I often saw doctors say, my kids got a soccer game at 5 p.m. If this baby's not delivered by three, we're going to the OR. Like, you know, it, it happens. So, oh, I, I absolutely experienced that when I worked with private practices. Yeah, I, I, think time, happened, I think that's what happened to me with my son. Mm -hmm. I really think that. And it was at night, but I knew he wanted to leave. And then he transferred yeah. me to some other lady. And she did my C section because that's what was going to happen. And I had no, I mean, I, I had, I was completely oblivious to any of the stuff that I, I know of now, you know? Yeah. So I was like, all right. Okay. So, another question from what you just said, Jen, I, I'm, I don't know what the stats are on this is, is being 40 and having a C-section. I would assume the answer is yes, but I just, I don't know. Is being 40 and having a C-section actually is there literature that shows that that's a higher risk for that surgery itself as well as the postpartum healing risks if you're older? Is there, is there any? Yeah, I'm not, I don't know for sure about 
on what the what the literature says. Um, in my experience, being older does put you at higher risk for a C-section. Mm -hmm. A lot of that does, I believe, have to do with uh, placental insufficiency. Um, many women who are in their 40s have C-sections for fetal intolerance of labor, which is usually has to do with the placenta. Um, mm -hmm. And so I would say it probably does put you at higher risk of a C-section, but it's, it's, not also, it's also not a guarantee. And if you give birth in a hospital with a lower C-section rate, they probably also have more tolerance for fetal heart rate changes, for protracted labor. Um, you know, the hospital that I most recently was delivering babies at, you know, we just, we just had a real, like, we were like, you're not active until you're six centimeters. You know, we were, you know, we kind of tried to stay, you know, keep, we really felt like, you know, vaginal birth in most cases is safer. So, you know, we're going to do everything we can to make that happen. Um, so you're going to, you see, you saw a much lower cesarean rate. You saw maybe a higher laceration rate because we have more vaginal birth and more operative vaginal deliveries as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, you, you really, that is, I really feel like that is, should be the number one thing that you look at when you're looking at choosing your place of birth. Um, because if you go to one, I mean, and you can get amazing care. I have seen such fantastic care at the big, the big, you know, the big houses in Boston, but you know, with a C-section rate of 30%, you're, you're walking into a hospital before you've ever had, you know, before you're even close to giving birth and you're increasing your risk of walking out with major surgery by 30 something percent. And so mm -hmm. you just have to kind of figure out what you need. And, you know, some people do feel more comfortable with a NICU. They're like, I want a NICU. Like, I want that reassurance. Well, you're not going to get that at a community hospital. You have to go to a tertiary care center for a NICU, which means that you have to also then be willing to accept the, the higher C-section risk. And mm -hmm. that just, it kind of goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree. I agree with all of that. And if anybody's interested in researching um, C-section rate, you can Google that, you know, you know Massachusetts cesarean section rate by hospital and that is public information. So um, you definitely can do that. Um, so this has been such a wonderful conversation, I think uh, our takeaway points um, are that having a baby at 40 is much more common than it used to be. So if you've waited to have children until now, or you found yourself pregnant at 40 or 40 plus, um, you are in good company, including the two um, mamas that we have on our call today. And despite the challenges it can take to conceive, having children in your 40s is definitely a possibility for many people. You'll want to talk to your doctor um, or your healthcare provider, midwife, whatnot, about your individual risk factors before starting a family at this stage in your life, of course. Um, and Jen had mentioned having a preconception consultation, which I think is great for really anybody planning a pregnancy to really go yeah. over how you can get your health in the best condition before um, welcoming a little tiny baby into it. Um, so... And know that there are providers out there that are used to taking care of birthing people that are on the older side of the spectrum. And so if the person that you're seeing makes you feel like a black sheep because they don't ever take care of somebody who is in their 40s, um, you know, that's, that could have consequences for the way they advise you in pregnancy, labor, and birth. And so, you know, seeking out a practice that uh, does not 
you know, outwardly call you an elderly pregnant person, <laughs> which is the medical terminology for a pregnancy over 35, <laughs> um, then, you know, probably is, is to your best advantage. So thank you guys so much yeah. for being on this call. Uh, this yeah, was such so an excellent, excellent thank you. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> you want to send us off, Jeanette? I will. So yeah, so thank you for sharing. So if you want to find out more about our guests, be sure to check out their websites. You can find Jen at sharkinfestedh2o.com and Stephanie at Sweet Little Bundles Birth Services on Facebook. And we hope you'll visit babiesincommon.com slash videocast or slash podcast to listen to um, past episodes and see what's coming up for future episodes as well. If you have ideas for us, send those in, please do that. Our next episode is Monday, May 25th at 1.30, and we'll be joined by Justine Leach of Resilient Birth, who will be discussing um, what we need to have um, the birth that we want and how to choose a childbirth class based on our personalities as well as the personality and the content of the instructor. Um, we're working on the title still, but very, very interesting um, conversation that I had with her about being more informed about figuring out what you want and how do you get it prenatally by learning more about what you need personally. So really interesting to go there. I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. Justine. Emotionally, a lot, of, a lot of emotionally, like tapping into what do you need emotionally as a person and how do you find that in the right childbirth class for you to get the birth that you emotionally want? It's so interesting. So if you've learned uh, anything helpful, even one tiny morsel of helpful information today, don't be stingy. Please text a friend who's either expecting or parenting and tell them all about us. And if you want to laugh your stretch pants off while learning about childbirth, babies, and breastfeeding, please consider taking a live and interactive Zoom class with us at Babies in Common um, or know that virtual feeding consultations and weekly feeding groups are also available. And if you follow us on social media, on Facebook or Instagram, we're always posting great articles, videos, and resources to help you rock your birth and thrive as a new parent. Because we are a community for you. After all, we all have babies in common. Yay. Thank you for joining us on the Babies in Common podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate a positive review on whichever podcast player platform you use, as that helps more people find our podcast. We wish you a fantastic day that includes learning at least one new thing, finding something to giggle about, and getting at least one hug, even if it's from yourself. If you have any comments or questions, of course, feel free to email info at babiesincommon.com. We'd love to hear from you.